Well, welcome everyone. Good to see lots of people coming up. Just a bit of a shame that it's uh, the course is almost over. It would have been nice to see so many people at the beginning, but on the other hand, we can only blame ourselves because we didn't advertise, which was fine because we weren't looking for a large crowd. So I got um, a request some time back in the box to give a talk on karma and the request was to give a talk on the 12, what does it say, the wheel of karma 12, which um, I have to admit I've never heard of the wheel of karma 12. So I'm going to go over what it might mean, or what it might refer to. First of all, talking about karma in the Buddhist uh, perspective, <coughs> we're talking about, we have to understand what we're talking about, and there's a good description of, of karma in sort of a, a, what you could call layman's terms because we could go into great detail about um, the workings of karma and I'll try to do that maybe I'll wrap up with that but first of all to give sort of an introduction of what karma means um, we can turn to this discourse that the Buddha gave to Subha which is called the Jula Kama Vibhanga Sutta you don't have to remember any of that but this is a specific talk the Buddha gave one day when the Buddha was staying at Savati in Jetavanna. He was approached by this man named Subha, or a young man. And the young man asked him uh, something about karma and the Buddha answered, the Buddha said to him, he said, Kamasaka, Kamasaka Satta, Kamasaka Manova, Manova Satta, Kamayoni, Kamapandu, Kamapati Sarana. And then he gave this very famous quote, which is Kamang Satevi Pachati Yatitang Hina Panidataya. You don't remember the Pali, but it's always nice to hear. And in the Buddhist words, Pali is a very powerful language which is able to uh, transfer meaning very efficiently. So it's nice to hear the Pali before we translate it. Kamasaka satta means uh, beings are owners of their karma. When we think of what we own, what are, is our belonging, karma is our belonging. <coughs> Karma is something that we take with us, that follows after us. Kamatayata beings are also uh, heirs to their karma, means they inherit the fruit of their karma. What this means is we've done bad things or good things in the past, that was then and this is now, and we inherit that. We're the ones who get the result. Kamayoni 
it's our uh, what gives gives birth to us it's our um, creator it's what creates who we are is our our karma good and bad things we've done karma pandu we are tied to our karma kamapati sarana it is our refuge Some, something like refuge or it is our home our place of, of dwelling where we fall back on in the end what it comes down to is karma this is very appropriate in Buddhism we we don't look at the world as Buddhists in terms of trying to change the world or trying to decide what is right and what is wrong and uh, getting all upset when bad things happen even on a world worldwide scale global level we don't fret about the global situation <coughs> we don't worry about things like global warming or uh, wars or inequality um, we, we don't we don't look at these things and say this is this is wrong, poverty. We don't look and say, uh, blame it on the rich people, if the poor people are poor. And we don't think to ever make the world uh, fully perfect. We don't think that it's just, because we understand that it's not just a structural thing. You can't just change the system and expect suddenly that everyone is going to be happy and peaceful. You can't expect to somehow understand weather and so that we will or always uh, ward off natural disasters for everyone. <coughs> so when everyone's getting all fired up about all of the problems in the world and you know, inequality or injustice or so on. One way of looking at what the Buddha taught and it really struck me just recently is that the Buddha really taught something that he never said, and I don't. I imagine he never would have said it. I want to make that clear. But basically, what he taught, as I understand it, is that the world is perfect. It's always perfect. This is something, as I said, I don't think you'd ever catch the Buddha saying. But uh, I think in today's day, it, uh, it it kind of is useful to say such things. It jolts people out of their idea that we have to somehow change things. What I mean by the world is perfect is this is the Buddha's teaching on karma. That everything is perfectly fair. When someone is downtrodden, is poorly treated, uh, suffers terribly, you have, you have really two ways of answering this. And I think the scientific way is to say that the world is imperfect. I know the religious way is generally to say that the world is imperfect. <clears throat> For instance, the, the theistic way is to say that you know, it was created perfectly, but we have messed it up, or so on. Uh, we have gone astray, or so on. Um, I suppose that's actually very close to the Buddhist, Buddhist way of looking at things. Um, uh, although without the whole idea of God and, and the Creator and so on. But the idea that, that we have created the mess that we're in, 
but it's also not true that it is such a mess. Um, it's a mess for those people who have made it a mess, and it's a wonderful place for those people who have made it a wonderful place. So karma explains the world perfectly. What I always like about karma, what I've always said is, even if you don't believe it, even if you haven't had any either indoctrination to, to give a, some sort of a blind faith in it, or practice, which allows you to see the workings of it, like in meditation practice, you still got to marvel at the beauty of it, that it's so perfect, it just explains everything. If you just look at it, it's so internally consistent that even if you don't subscribe to it and you say it's all a bunch of bull, you still got to marvel at how, how it all works out in the end. Well, how does it work out? Well, the Buddha gave, when he explained this, he said, beings are heirs of their karma and so on. He said, Kamang that it is karma which uh, splits beings up, categorizes beings, or separates beings. So he, he made a very powerful statement here. He said, Karma is that which separates beings, what makes people hina, which makes people inferior, panita, panita in into inferiority and superiority by way of inferiority and superiority so the Buddha was not saying that all beings are equal and I think some people have often misunderstood this and they think that the Buddha was all for social justice and equality and so on and so on but no, the Buddha gave a very radical statement he, he was of course fighting against the caste system where they said that birth is which separates people into higher and lower categories. Inferior or superior, it has to do with your birth. The Buddha said, no, it has to do with your actions. If you act in an inferior manner, you get inferior results. If you act in a superior manner, you get superior results. <clears throat> and so he said, he did, the, the guy didn't understand, didn't have a clue what he was talking about. Of course, this didn't make any sense to him. Uh, he was a Brahmin, or, or he was from the Brahmin uh, religious system. And so he asked, what, I, don't, I don't understand, can you please explain? And so the Buddha said, well, it goes like this. He said, suppose there's someone who kills. If someone is committed to taking life, then when they die, they're the ones that are reborn with a short life. If a person is committed to abstention from taking life, and even when they have the opportunity to kill, they don't kill. This person, when they're reborn, uh, if they're reborn as a human being, they're born with a long life. If someone is committed to harming or torturing other beings, not killing them now, but hurting and torturing them with bodily actions or, or verbal actions, then if they're born as a human, if they don't go to hell for these bad deeds, They'll be born not with a short life, but with poor health. They'll be the ones who are always subject to disease and sickness and always getting the flu and so on. Uh, and if, on the other hand, someone abstains from these things, is very kind to people, to beings, uh, always trying to relieve suffering, then on the other hand, uh, in, in, another, in the other way, 
And the opposite way, this person will, if they don't go to heaven for their good deeds, they will be, if they're born as a human, they will be uh, healthy. So these are the people who never get sick. Hard to find, but there are some people who find themselves not getting sick. And this is because of their, um, because of their behavior towards other beings in the past. If someone uh, is angry, gets angry a lot, and is uh, venge vengeful and uh, hateful and spiteful, then when they die, if they come back as a human being, they'll be ugly. If a person is kind, is nice, is friendly, then when they come back, they'll be, uh, they will be beautiful. If a some if someone is jealous, envious, always uh, can't stand it when other people get good things. You know, monks. When we see other monks getting good, uh, good rewards or getting people, other people paying respect to them, and we think they should be respecting us. And, well, I guess none of you know you're not monks, but. Um, you know, of course, you know, in, in the world, many, many things. When we see our brothers and sisters getting treated unequally, or we see other co-workers or co-students when we're at school, when we're at work, and they have rewards, or people say good things about them, and we get angry. Or even when our friends, maybe they're more uh, intelligent than us, maybe they're more beautiful than us, maybe they're more witty than us, maybe they have more friends than us, and we get jealous. People who are jealous, when they come back, if they come back as a human being, they will be born with little influence, maybe few friends. Uh, they will be people who are not listened to, who are not, uh, not respected. And what they say has no weight. They have no friends. They, they, they're always um, betrayed by other people and so on. On the other hand, if someone is not jealous, if someone is appreciative of other people's good things, and this is something we should always strive towards, we appreciate their goodness, then when we come back, we will be born, uh, born with great influence and great friends, and everyone will listen and think what we have to say is worth listening to and so on. If someone is generous, uh, is stingy, and never shares, never gives, never donates, never gives up, then when they're born again, they will be uh, poor and be always lacking. If someone, on the other hand, is is generous, they will be reborn uh, wealthy and rich. If a person is uh, respectful to their elders and their superiors, they will be reborn as uh, in a high-born, in a high class. So in, in, in India this would have been the Brahmin or the Kshatriya, but here in America it may be just a high-class person who has many big friends or is famous family or so on. Someone who was born in a high class or in a good family. If someone is obstinate and uh, disrespectful, refuses to uh, pay respect to those people who have helped them or those people who are teaching them or so on, then when they're reborn, they will be reborn 
say in the low class. So you were born as, as maybe poor in a poor family or in, in the maybe in the countryside in the uh, you know the rednecks or whatever um, the, the the hicks or whatever you say. And finally, if someone is dedicated to asking questions and inquiring about things and seeking out knowledge and always trying to find the answer to what life's problems, then when one is reborn, then one will be reborn with great wisdom. If, uh, sorry, uh, first we say, if someone refuses to, you know, people who never think to go and ask questions or um, look for answers or seek advice, for never seeking advice, we'll be reborn stupid. If we go and seek advice and answers and try to listen and learn and study, then we will be reborn wise. So this is what is meant by karma on a sort of a general level. We're talking about what separates beings. On a meditative level, we're talking about mind states. And so the Buddha said, what is the real karma in, involved with all of this? Is your intention. You can intend to do something and not be able to do it even if you're not able to carry out your act, and it can still be totally karmic, karmically potent. Of course, because when you die, you don't take the physical with you, but you take your mind, and it's your intentions that count. If you intend to do something, and you intend for a certain result, and it doesn't turn out as you expected, you can't be blamed for those results. Uh, you could be blamed for, for being... Uh, maybe a little naive or that you didn't uh, consider carefully or so on but the intention is still good if you if you give someone some food thinking that it's going to make them healthy and it turns out that they're allergic to that food or it, the food is actually has poison in it that you didn't know or it's gone bad or so on and you you were sure it was not bad and even if the person dies from that food you're not to blame you're in fact to be praised for your gift. I mean, this is how it goes. And why did that person die? People will get so, so upset when this happens, thinking that they were to blame for that person's death or that person's injury or that person's harm. Uh, and it shows such a lack of understanding of, of reality that that person is, of course, going according to their karma. And this is... Uh, something that we very rarely understand in this life that beings go according to their karma why they're treated poorly why they're treated highly res with respect it's totally because of their karma and so what does it mean when we say karma is, is intention we're talking about every moment when we uh, react to something when we react to uh, experience that arises. So when we see something, and as soon as we decide that that is a good thing, and we want it, then already this karma has arisen. Uh, if we want it, then that's akusala karma. It's bad, it's unwholesome karma, because it's going to give, it's already starting this, this cycle of addiction even from that first moment of, of wanting something or liking something. If we see something and we don't like it and we want to get away from it, just the wanting to get away from it is enough to start the karma going. So this is 
this is what we really see in meditation and, and though this may seem kind of weird and, and possibly um, you know, hard to believe as soon as we start to practice we can see how this is true we can see how, yeah, indeed when we're sitting and we feel this liking or wanting uh, it's really great when it's there and we'll feel like, wow, this meditation is great this sitting around has been wonderful but then for the rest of the day, when it doesn't come according to our wishes and our wants and our desires, we feel upset, we feel depressed, we feel like our meditation is going downhill. We couldn't understand it, our practice was so good before. But this is, of course, the nature of addiction, that when you don't get it exactly the way you expected it, uh, it leads to suffering. And when we see this, then we say, well, yeah, this is karma, this is addiction. This is how karma works. You make the karma in the beginning and then you have to suffer from it. Same as when you get angry. When you get angry then there's bad. Bad results come from it. You might say something nasty to someone and then you feel very sad about it afterwards. You feel uh, ashamed of your actions. You have to think about that all the time. Even if you don't feel ashamed, you'll feel angry, angry, angry all the time about it. If someone does something to you and you get angry, You'll always feel angry about them, and you'll feel like you, they deserve that. And You'll always have to live with this anger inside of you, and it'll come back again and again, and anger is, of course, suffering. So you have this, this suffering again and again and again. And so we can see how karma works. We can see how good karma works. When you're mindful, for instance, it has great results. When you're kind to people, it has great results. Your mind changes. When we talk about rebirth, all we're doing is extending this across the death barrier. You say, when someone dies, this is just the, out, the external appearance. But actually, internally, there's only a change going on, like a snake when it casts off its skin. It's just a part of nature. The mind continues on. It's a phase that we go through. So this is a karma. Um, as far as the wheel of karma, the twelve kinds of karma. Well, there are twelve kinds of karma, but I've ne I didn't, they don't, they're not connected in a wheel, so um, I'm afraid that I'm going to give um, uh, the wrong answer to this question, or this very brief uh, heading for the, the talk tonight. But anyway, that's what I can do. And then I can talk a little about the actual wheel of karma, which is threefold. Um, so the twelve kinds of karma, and I'll just go through them briefly. The first four are in terms of their their weight, um, or how should I go? The first the first four are in terms of their result. Let's start with the result. Uh, no, let's go even further. The first four we'll talk about the um, the type of karma because this is the most important in the beginning. So how does karma work? Some people say that, well, uh, what you plant, you get the result. The Buddha said, uh, whoever says that whenever you do some, whenever you make a karma, you, have to, you will experience the result, or you will experience a like result. He said, whoever says that is wrong, and they've, they're postulating a path a, a reality that doesn't allow one to escape from karma, right? Because that would mean everything that you do is going to have to bring result, and there's no way you can ever escape it. So if you were to 
reach total total freedom from suffering, uh, you would still have to be born again in order to receive the results of the karma. Somebody said this is not true, and so he he explained this. He also said that karma is not one for one. Some karma. Some karma is one for one. You you do something and you get a result. This is called janaka karma. It is um, potent or it, it is karma that gives birth. So you do something and it gives a result. You uh, hurt someone and they hit, hurt you back. You hit someone and they hit you back. That's a, a perfect example of, of janaka karma. You, do, you, you hit them, they hit you back. That's one for one. Some karma simply helps other karma. So maybe you don't hit the guy, but he's already angry at you, and then you say something nasty to him, and then he hits you. So when you say something nasty to him, you're, you're adding to the, the karma that you've made before. So it doesn't give karma on its own, but it, it, it helps another karma. Sometimes you're... You're just about to get, you know, you're, you've done some really good things in the past, but it's not quite enough to give a result. And then you do something very small and, and poof, suddenly the results come. Like people who are working in a job and they do something just, just right, just a little bit, and they get this huge result. And they get a promotion or something, or they get praised, or, or it's just such a success. This is called helpful karma. When you do good deeds... Uh, and they they don't give result themselves, but they help something else to come to fruition. They add to the whole overall pool until it gives a, a result. These are called upapilaka kama, oh, upatambaka kama. Sorry, upatambaka kama. They support other karmas. The third type, uh, upapilaka kama, no upakataka kama is destroying karma it uh, it enters into to destroy or to cut off other karma so maybe you said something or you did something it makes someone really angry at you and they're they're going to try to they, they want to hit you they want to hit you back or they want to hurt you or maybe they want to even kill you but then you do something nice for them maybe you don't even know that they're angry at you and you do something nice and suddenly they're just appeased so the nice thing you did it didn't bring any good result but it stopped the bad result and uh, you know this this is very these are very simple examples but of course as you think about it this is how everything works it's a real mesh of of cause and effect so you can't say that one thing is going to just bring one result you kill someone and it means you're going to be killed or something like that it has an effect, but we don't know exactly what the effect is. The fourth type of karma is just what uh, reduces, upapilaka karma, it reduces the effect of other karma. So maybe you did something worthy of, you know, you made someone really angry and they're going to hit you, but then you, uh, you're nice to them, and then so instead of hitting you, they just say bad, nasty things about you. Now we can see how all of this works out in, in you know, we can come up with many different examples, but these are just these are the, the role of karma. They play different roles. It's not just every karma gives a result.
This is four. The second group of four is according to when they give a result. So there are four kinds. The first kind of karma gives a result in this life. The second kind of karma gives a result in the next life. The third kind of karma gives a result in some life to come. And the fourth kind of karma doesn't give a result. Um, now, as for the kind of karma that doesn't give a result, it's called ahosi karma, which means it already gave its result. Um, which, I, I mean, I've heard different ideas of what this means. Some people say it just means it doesn't give a result. Um, I think the standard definition, the standard explanation is that it does give a result, but it's given its result already. It's already been extinguished. So once a karma uh, gives its result, then it's called ahosi karma. It means it's finished. Uh, if you go into detail how this works, we're talking about the seven jawanajitta, which occur, this is deep abhidhamma, it's very hard to understand. But every time you see, hear, smell, taste, feel, or think, every time we experience, we're, we're, we're potentially creating a karma. Seven karmas, actually. I don't know how they came up with seven. It's something that they say the Buddha came up with. So if that's true, then it's probably right. Um, and so this is why meditation, of course, is so important and why our acknowledgments are so potent. Why it happens that when we acknowledge rising, falling, our mind actually changes. Why is it that as we practice, we find ourselves becoming more and more at peace, more and more clear? Our whole mind just changes. It becomes alert and aware and awake. And, and we're able to slowly but surely do away with many evil things. It's because every moment, every one of those moments is destroying these seven karmas, is just getting rid of, obliterating any bad thing we might have done. When we see something, there's this moment of truth where we judge it. We say it's good or we say it's bad. Every moment, when you hear my voice, you're either thinking in your mind it's good or it's bad. Or if you're mindful, you're just listening to it. Uh, you know, If you're really mindful, you're saying to yourself, hearing, hearing, and you're seeing it or you're realizing that it's arising and ceasing at your ear and there's sound coming and going and as you see that you know there's even a chance for very good karma to arise in your mind to become very very pure now how that how how, how it works is if your mind is impure um, at that moment, and there's a judging, you say it's good or you say it's bad, then there arises javana, the seven javana. It means the running minds. They just run. You know, it's like you can't stop these ones. These are the ones that it's out the gate. There's no stopping it. And once you shoot, when you shoot a gun, until you pull the trigger, you can stop yourself. You can change your mind. Once you pull the trigger, you can't, moving the gun isn't going to help. Pulling your finger away isn't going to help. Putting the gun down isn't going to help. The shot has been taken. This is what we meant by chawana. It's, it's, it's gone. It's running. Um, and there's seven of them. So the first one is, it's the, 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 it's the most potent. It has, it has the potential to give, uh, to give results in this life. And they say if it doesn't, then it's a hosi. So probably with possibly an answer, an explanation of a hosi means it, it ran out of opportunity. 
So this one, the only way it's going to give a result is if it has a chance in this life. If no chance arises, that, that one is, is impotent. The seventh one has a chance to give up until the next life. And if it doesn't, then it becomes imp impotent. The second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth are the ones that might give a result in any life to come. And so, I mean, all of this is probably way too much information, but you're not expected to memorize. There's not going to be a test after class. Uh, but it certainly gives a good insight into why we're doing what we're doing and how what we're doing right now has a great impact on our, our, our lives. When we're sitting here and when we're mindful, when we're aware of the uh, phenomena arising and ceasing, or conversely, when we're not aware, when we're not paying attention. Maybe we're sitting here and we're bored or um, distracted. Maybe we like what's being said, but it's very hard to sit still and there's pain in the back, pain in the legs. And so we might have all sorts of unpleasant experiences and, and unpleasantness in the mind. And as a result, we might be giving rise to unwholesome karma, which we'll feel bad about and we'll feel upset about and will give us suffering in the future. So we have this important... This makes it a very important task, what we're doing in meditation. Karma is a very important subject for this reason. So there's these four. Then there's the last four, which are um, the weight of karma. That not all karma is of the same weight. The first type of karma is called the karukamma, which is uh, the heavy karma. So we say how karma works together. Some karma can be killed by other karma. Uh, you know, some karma isn't potent and so on. But there are certain types of karma which you just can't avoid it. When you do these things, because of the very nature of them, they're so heavy that, they, that the, the intention that they bring about is impossible to, uh, to do away with. And these are called garu karma. These ones are like killing your father, killing your mother, killing an arahant, an enlightened being, hurting a Buddha, because you can't kill a Buddha, it's apparently impossible. And the fifth one is, they say, trying to break up uh, the group of, of enlightened beings, or in this case you could say the group of monks, uh, trying to start a schism in, in the Sangha. These five things, because they're so such a negative act, an evil act, they are considered to be five things which you cannot atone for. When you die, and when you die, you'll be born in hell for sure. They give results uh, at, at uh, right away in this at the end of this life. When you die, you, there's no chance to become enlightened. You cannot become an enlightened being if you've done one of these five things in this life. It's not to say in a future life you couldn't, and it's not to say you couldn't go to heaven in a future life and so on, but there's no way out in this life. And so this is the heaviest ones. These ones are on top. It means anything else, you could do many, many good deeds, and right when you die you could be doing good deeds, and when you die you still go to hell. 
you still die and you still suffer terribly because there's no way you can forget this. There's no way you can erase the memory of this terrible deed. There's nothing you could do which could equal it. That's what they say. The second type is called uh, achinna kamma, uh, no, sorry, asana kamma, which means karma which is done right when you die. So sometimes people are doing bad things when they die, they're in a fight or something. Some people, sometimes people are doing good things when they die. For instance, uh, meditating. They say people who meditate are born in heaven instantly. You could be sitting in meditation, and, and if you die in, medit in sitting meditation, suddenly you find you're still sitting there, but you know suddenly something's changed, and there's music, and there's uh, bright lights, and so you open your eyes, and you see all these people dancing and singing, and you don't know where you are. There's stories of monks who have done that, and they think they're still monk, and there's all these half-naked women dancing around, and uh, so they they still look down. And when they look down, they see themselves wearing these fancy angel clothes. And finally they realize that they're no longer a monk. Uh, I mean, it's not to say that that's why we're, we're ordained as monks, so that we can go to heaven, but um, there are cases of this where they hadn't practiced properly, or they've been practicing on a very basic level, and so all that happened was they were born in heaven. But this is asana kamma. When we do something right when we're dying, whatever we were doing, if it was karmically potent, it is going to take precedence. We could have done lots of lots of bad things in our lives, and at the last moment we uh, we do something good, and then poof, we're born in heaven. I mean, this seems a little bit uh, far-fetched, but I think it's perfectly possible, and it doesn't mean that all that bad karma has disappeared. It just means something has, has gotten in the way temporarily. Same, we could have done lots of good things and when we die we take on a, a nasty frame of mind and then are born in a bad, bad location and temporarily until it's exhausted and then the good things will, will give fruit as well. This is asana kamma, this is number two. Number three is achinna kamma, which is karma, karma that we've done, or bahula kamma, karma that we've uh, done frequently. Uh, so, if there's nothing, we're do if we're not doing anything when we die, we're not uh, doing anything karmic, maybe we're lying on a hospital bed or something, then it's whatever we've done frequently. If we've done lots of good deeds in our life, this is why people will often give alms every day or... or um, practice meditation every day or, or you know, always be keeping the precepts or so on. It's something, if we've done it frequently, uh, then it will come back to us and it will be very strong when we die. And as long as we're not doing anything very karmically potent when we die, then it's what, that's what will take effect. And finally, um, I think the fourth one is called katata karma, which means karma that's been, that we've done, which means could be any karma. This is the lowest kind. It just means some random karma. And this is when you die. If there's nothing else that's particularly potent, then this is what would be potent. It could be anything. So these are the 12 types of karma, and I was asked to talk about them, so I, I thought I would. Um, I think it's, it's quite instrumental in that it... it uh, quite instrumental, quite instructive, uh, in that it it does teach us about how important the mind is in karma. 
And obviously we're talking about karma as being something that leaves a, a scar on people's minds, leaves, a mark, leaves its mark on our minds. And I think it's very difficult to see if you're not meditating. Um, but if you are meditating, it's very easy to see. You can see how all of the things you've done in your life have, are still in there. And you can see how they're affecting your mind. Everything that you've been through in your life, every good thing that you've done, every bad thing that you've done is still in there. And that's what comes up during meditation. This is what we have to finally work through. Um, we have to come to terms with. And so we start to see karma, we start to see cause and effect, and we change the way we look at the world, we change the way we act. And this is what, where we come to uh, what we call break the wheel of karma. And so when we talk about the wheel of karma, we're talking about three things. Uh, and this is the wheel that we break out of, it's the cycle of karma. Because the reason we're born again and again is because we're in this vicious cycle of kilesa, which means defilement, karma, which means action, and vipaka, which means results. So what happens is we give rise to our defilements, liking or disliking. When something comes up, we give rise to this. And so we do bad, we do bad things or, or we do good things. You know, maybe we want to be born again as in, in heaven or we want to be rich, so we do good things. Uh, but mostly we would do bad things. We would chase after good things. We would run away from bad things, do nasty, evil things. And when we do this, we get a result. There's the vipaka. Vipaka means we have to see any bad things, we have to hear bad things, or we have to see good things and see and hear good things. We get to hear, we get to have all sorts of pleasant experiences if we've done good deeds. But at any rate, when we get this good result, then there are more kilesa which come up, right? If we get good results and we feel happy, then we like that. And so we hold on to it. We become addicted to it. And we want more, and so we do more. And it goes this way. So this, this is the wheel of karma. It's kind of, you could also say, the wheel of addiction. Because we become addicted to something, some kind of act, and so we do that act. When we do that act, we get the result, and then we become, uh, we like the result, and so we, we go for more. And it goes around and around and around. This is the cycle of addiction. And when we don't get what we want, we create new karma. We get angry, we say bad things, we do bad things. And now in meditation, we're breaking away from this at the junction between vipaka, result, and kilesa, or defilement. We can't escape the results of our karma. If, if it's going to give results, it's going to give results. Um, it's not to say that it's all going to, got to give results. We, we, what it means is when it comes up, we can't avoid it. Uh, we, can, we can prevent many things from giving fruit. If we become enlightened, for instance, then all of the future karma that was going to give fruit is suddenly impotent. But if, when it comes up, we can't stop it. When it comes time to receive the karma, we can't stop it. We can't, we can't but receive the, the result. Uh, it, it comes by itself. So when it comes up, our only hope is to stop ourselves from becoming attached to it. 
This is what we're doing basically in meditation. We're, we're facing up to all of the results of our bad deeds and good deeds and not giving rise to more uh, defilement, more attachment, more aversion. So this is why we always tell meditators when there's painful feelings, when there's uh, unpleasant emotions, when there are external um, uh, stimulus, you see bad things, you hear bad things, when there are things that are, are unbearable, we teach meditators to bear with them, to not try to always change things or run away from them, because you're only creating more kilesa, more defilement, more attachment. And we teach people to, to face up to their situation. When we're, we're born into this world, we're not all born equal. And we don't all have equal opportunities. But we can all take what we've been given, or what we've given ourselves, and make the best of it. And we can use it to become enlightened. There's no one in this world who doesn't have the potential to become enlightened, if not in this life, then in a future life. And so, especially in meditation, we are, we are, we are we're doing this. We're dealing with these things. And we have pain. We say to ourselves, pain, pain. And so this unpleasant result is no longer a source of displeasure. It just comes and it goes, and we take it for what it is. And this is called breaking the wheel of karma, breaking the cycle of addiction, if you will. And this is what frees us. As you do this, you're able to see clearly. You're able to see things as they are. When you say pain, 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 instead of disliking it, you see it for what it is. As you do this, your mind becomes freer, your mind becomes clearer, until eventually you just have this epiphany and your mind is released. It's not exactly an epiphany, I suppose. Um, you're, it, it's called cessation, or nibbana. The mind is just free. The mind doesn't reach out to any more stimuli. Anything external, anything the seen, hear, and sm smell, taste, feel, or think, all of this is just disappears. I say, what's left? Well, you know, there's no one thing left. There's no, nothing arising. It's the state of not having anything arise. No thought, no sight, no sound, no taste, no smell, no taste, no feeling, and no thought. Just nothing arises for some time. This is called nirvana, freedom, because the mind isn't clinging anymore. The mind is broken, has made a break in the cycle. And so there's a cessation. It's not exactly cessation. I mean, everything ceases. It's more like the non-arising. Uh, nirvana is called the unbinding, so there's no more jumping out or chasing after. So I hope this explains karma and I hope it's been useful and that this will then help us to uh, put our best efforts into the meditation practice because certainly it, it, uh, if we accept all of this and, and understand that this is really the way it is then uh, it makes meditation all that much more important and our practice is uh, all that much more useful to us to help us to become free from this cycle of addiction and and bad results, the suffering that comes from addiction. So that's all for tonight then. And now we'll get on to the meditation portion. First we'll do mindful prostration and then walking and then sitting all together.